0: Previously, on Something Who. I'm Richard, and we're back with another look at a couple of Doctor Who stories. Fourth Doctor tale, Pyramids of Mars, from season 13. And after that, we discuss twelfth Doctor story, Mummy on the Orient Express, from series 8. With me to discuss mummies and malign controlling presences are Big Finish author and Missing Episodes podcaster, Paul. Good evening, all. Science and astronomy writer, Giles. I've got a cold and making up our quartet, it's graphic designer and half of Dalek 63 to 88, Gav. Hello. So let's start with Pyramids of Mars. I have actually seen this story since it was broadcast. And now on to part two of our discussion in episode 47.
1: I thought I'd got to the bottom of why I think Robert Holmes is a genius at plotting stories compared to people who get it slightly wrong. For the record, and I should keep this note, I think he plots them from the conceptualises a story from the top down rather than from the bottom up. Which is why he starts right. knowing what the tone and the look and the feel of the story is that he wants to go for. And he does the least possible work on the storyline, on the on the structure. To, to enable all those parts to stick together where somebody else might start from the bottom up with more much more world building more, much more hard work on the world building like it sounded like this bloke lewis right. griffer had done a lot of work on world building me and it was all unnecessary yes robert holmes just links them together as simply as he can and his world building is of the part where you just the ilk where you just have a few lines here and there where he says yes the syrian's destroyed their homeworld Fester Osiris it's another one of those marvellous little names that he comes up with yeah Fester Osiris. I remember reading about it in the um, programme guide which was full of exotic sounding names and every time I came across a really good one it would be Mutter's Spiral or whatever it was always Robert Holmes hmm. all those um, all that world building in Talon's Wing Chiang which is just there hmm. to give us a sense that he has thought about the world outside these six episodes it's not important but he's just going to briefly allude to it. So we know it exists and, it, and it's tantalising.
2: He does a lot of that. His story breakdowns are always full of unnecessary backstory. And then when he's given briefs to other writers, he fills in all kinds of irrelevant detail, names and places and stuff. It's wonderful. It's very good.
1: Maybe I should read some, because that might contradict my theory about his top-down economical approach to world building. He does just enough work on putting his elements together which kind of contradicts what I was saying about there needing to be solid foundations. You'd have thought, I'd, I was arguing for the Lewis Griffer approach of a very well thought out universe in which his story is set up. There's the solid foundations that it needs to build your flimsy action adventure story on. But I seem to be arguing that Bob Holmes uses smoke
0: and mirrors to, to do as little work as possible to join together the things he wants. Well if you think about the relationships between the human characters... You know, there's some lovely nuances in there, but we don't learn that much about them, and we we fill in a lot of details ourselves, I guess. You know, we know that Warlock and Marcus Garman are friends. We can deduce the sort of relationship that Lawrence and Marcus have. But he, he doesn't paint in very much detail. There's there's the there's the photograph with the two brothers in it. But we don't. He doesn't really say anything about it. It's just it's just there mm. that they were boys once together. It's easier
1: to get away with that sort of thing on, with characters. You can sketch very lightly with characters. What I was thinking of more, yeah. more particularly was the th- yeah. thing about this sort of needing to have Egypt and Mars in it. Now he doesn't bother creating a link between Egypt and Mars. The other the other writer did, mm. and Rob and Bob decided. Nope, I don't need one. Mm. So he then starts on the premise that Mars is in this and then works backwards. What can I do about that? And that's why we get the bit about the radio, um, you know, how long it takes radio waves to reach from Earth. So he does use, there is a relevant, Mars does become relevant in the story, but it doesn't need to be linked to Egypt thematically in any way. Mm. It's just a stopping off point for the Assyrians on the way to Earth. But perhaps he didn't realise that he didn't need any more than that until he saw Lewis Griffith's plot and thought, no, that's too much. Mm. Perhaps that helps him realise, <laughs> which is rather unfair to the other writer. Yeah, I'm just thinking about the process, because <laughs> it is a pain knowing how much work to do to link everything together. And do you need to do more than appears in, as Gus says, if you look at the scripts, Bob does often do more work than appears on the screen. Often what's left is just a few hints and, hmm. and clues that he'd thought about in greater detail. But it's not, and it makes him Tolkien-esque in a sense, doesn't it? But I can't, I don't really, there's not the Bob Holmes I think of when he comes up with a normal Bible for the, the universe of, of the story he's writing before he mm. starts on it. I think he thinks, I want Egyptology and I want Mars and I want this atmosphere and I shall start writing that and, and as soon as I've come up with a link, a, w- a way of getting those things in, the simplest, most economical link, then I'm sticking with mm. that. And part of his genius is in being able to pick up over the cracks in the way that we just don't see the cracks anymore. Whereas other writers, the cracks start to, <laughs> hmm. to break open as, the, as we're watching the story and the lack of thought becomes obvious. I just don't know what, I don't know what I'm saying. I appear to be saying that he's a, a hack and he's just using smoke and mirrors to deceive us. And that he's not actually. His stories don't actually have a stronger foundation than anybody else's. But I, that's not true either.
3: Well, you don't need to. It's not saying that you. Yeah, the the ability to create it from from scratch by by starting and then working out working out the best solutions oh, to yeah, things yeah. that is a fa- that the is methods. a fantastic skill to have. It's not I'm, I'm not saying I don't think there's anything inherently superior in the approach of No. In the approach of no, I'm going to work out all of my mythology and, and write write, it, write it out, a yeah, finished products for all of my characters before I start writing. I don't think that's yeah necessarily it's just exactly as you say judged by the finished product and if you can do it and you write and you come up with perfect little character moments and things like that that just embroider you know elucidate a point or or bridge a gap or whatever and it's certainly what someone like russell seems to do as well
1: it'll be you'd have to be an idiot when you work on doctor with no time and money to put more effort into it than Mm. you need to and it's not a question of being lazy it's a question of being able to use your time your resources most efficiently Mm. To produce the best result and that's why he's the master yes
3: well especially when you're in the hot seat of, of having to don't really to need do to think about what he would do differently you're
0: last last resort really well someone else has used used up your contingency haven't they <laughs> so, so so you've got to you've got to rush mm. it out of it pretty quickly okay shall we have a have a chat about tutheran aye. aye. okay so our, our second story we're going to look at in this episode is mummy on the orient express which was written by Jamie Matheson and directed by Paul Wilmshurst. And I'm going to revert to type now because I've not seen this one since the original broadcast. Uh-huh. And I I enjoyed it very much when I saw it originally. And I don't know, I, I felt like I didn't quite enjoy it so much second time round. Although, although, I mean, I still thought it was good, but, but it did, didn't seem to have the same impact. And I wonder if that is because it was more of a mystery the first time through. I don't know. But... Anyway, uh, you know, let, let's let's have a, let's let's have a chat about what we think and we can dig into some of that.
2: I think the thing that struck me rewatching it was how alienating I found the intrusive arc story of the the doctor and Clara's relationship because mm, the, yeah. the first few minutes because I remember really enjoying this and I I enjoyed it again today. Yeah. But when it started and right up to the bit where the cover of the Queen song is playing, mm. I just thought, this is the stuff. This is just more the classic than I even remember it. And I remember it being quite good. And then instantly it flips and the Doctor's really horrible to Clara. And then that's picked up in the storyline of, oh, they've had a falling out that I don't remember. Mm. And my my impression watching it today was this would have been the experience of the casual viewer. Dipping into yeah. Doctor Who, I haven't seen Doctor Who for a while. Let's watch a space adventure today. Oh, this Doctor, he's quite fun. He's a bit older than I remember because I last watched it with David Tennant, mm. and and then instantly he's just obnoxious, and and you're completely on the back foot as a as an outsider. And obviously, I guess it would have had some sense of continuity at the time, trailing off the back of Kill the Moon, which I done my best to forget, but I I ah. rewatched a little bit of last night. <laughs>
1: I will yeah. never again see this story in context because I will never again watch *Kill the Moon*. So that's it.
2: Yeah. That's it for me. It's got no hope. And it, if you, yeah, and if it relies on the um, the entirety of the ongoing stuff, um, I, I think that's a bit of a fundamental problem for for what a series which is quite literally monster of the week most of the time. Mm. It's a pretty big arc story to throw at you that the Doctor and his companion are breaking up. And then,
0: spoiler alert: they they don't at the end. But uh, yeah, it doesn't make it easy for us analysing two stories together to have to bring mm. all that baggage with us. That's for sure.
4: Mm. No, how but, dare uh, them not think
2: of that? No. <laughs> <laughs> but I was thinking. I was thinking in contrast to the arc story with the tenth Doctor and Rose, and why is why is that so much more approachable and acceptable? And is that just because because I remember it? so much better because I've rewatched it so many mm. times and it, I don't know
1: I mean, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily the case that Russell does less of it it's often, you know, he often devotes quite large chunks of episodes to his character mm. arc doesn't he Russell but I think it's written with a lighter touch mm. which is the difference. Now you weren't here you unfortunately missed our Tooth and Claw one but when we went into Tooth and Claw I was expecting to be annoyed by the character stuff because it was in the middle of all that um, <laughs> what I'd remembered as the Doctrine Rose hmm. getting a bit up themselves and get their comeuppance story, but it was actually treated a bit more lightly than I hmm. remembered and works quite nicely. Whereas, as you say, one, one isn't saying when one criticizes this that uh, I don't know why I started this sentence with one, I can't carry on with it. <laughs> I'll never make it uh, that, that one,
4: one doesn't want any
1: in one in one's regulars. <laughs> one isn't saying that one wants it to be like, you know one prefers the good old days of dodo or whatever but
0: (laughs) accent of the week
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think there there are ways of threading an ongoing character arc through your stories and starting the story with five minutes of stuff that's not just a bit overwritten, it's it's in the wrong place, it's overwritten it's really distracting if you haven't seen, you know everything's wrong with it isn't it basically Mm. you could thread Mm. it through more subtly a line here and a line there it was kind of how I felt like, um, I mean, obviously there wasn't a, anywhere near the same attempts to make a character arc going in Pyramids of Mars, but mm. it didn't dwell on it for too long. I think it was written with more economy. Mm. Normally people compare the two eras as if they're chalk and cheese if there was no attempt to make the characters three-dimensional and no attempt at any continuity back in the classic series. And of course, that isn't true, is it? There are mm. many. Mm. And it's not the case that it's always done perfectly in the new series. They, there are times when, especially as if you've only got half the length, you might think you want there would be an excuse to write with some of the economy that mm. Holmes just did naturally. Yeah. But mm. apparently not.
0: Well, I mean, that first scene in—no, not the first scene, but the one—the the TARDIS scene in *Pyramids of Mar- Mars* is kind of arty, yes, isn't it? Yes,
1: that's what bit I was thinking of. Yeah, but it's—it's it's yeah. and done with. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, we're getting it gets sidetracked, but I mean, there's so, so many ways of doing it well, and so many ways of doing it badly all through the early 80s you've got stories starting with some weird apparent (laughs) attempt to create some character continuity from the previous story but which is never says anything about characters it's just really clunky lines about what happened the last time often for different reasons sometimes um because they had to cut the end of the last story so you have to start this one with Has the mara really gone Mm. because there's a bit or but most of the time, whatever the reason was, it's always ham-fisted, isn't it? Really.
3: That's what this. Yeah, this um, reminded me of. It sort of kept hammering us over the head with, oh, they, they, there's a crisis, and I was metaphorically thrashing around, trying to Google story orders and thinking, what the hell happened in Color Moon? And so, and yeah, the, the forgivable thing would be okay. Spend spend two minutes on it, but at least, bring casual viewers who haven't seen or don't remember the last episode, up to speed on why they're... Oh, why God. they're in this situation? Yeah, why they're in this? That's true. In having a relationship crisis.
1: Yeah, if you really want to make a pa- link the two stories with that character mm. beat, mm. then whatever it was that came between them in that story should that specific mm. ethical choice should be resolved, mirrored, and resolved yeah. here. But of course, it isn't. Well, I think I th- last week she didn't like him. Now she yeah. does, but it's not because of anything specific. It's
3: just so so. You, ergo, you shouldn't have done it, as I recall ignoring all the moon egg stuff and so on, isn't it that the Doctor sods off and leave, leaves Clara to it to sort out the... Yes. To sort, oh, sort out, oh sort I remember, out the
1: yes. It's, yes. It's completely unjustified. Mm. It's a really fake ethical dilemma,
0: which is mm. founded on a he, false premise. He says premise. you have to... Di- you have to sort it out. You have to You're sort it out because it's not up to me. It's it's it's, it's for humans to resolve this problem of the mm. giant space. Please, please, please which... stop talking about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm I'm, 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 remem- I'm actually remembering this from mm. the one time that I saw it because I won't be watching it again either. But yeah. So so I mean, actually, I I know what they're talking about. But even so, you know, it, it's hard to care about it. I mean, it, it, that, I suppose that's the other. Aspect of Clara, she's the she's the impossible girl in uh, you know the second half of season mm. uh, of series seven, and then suddenly she's the duplicitous girl in series yeah, eight for some populace, reason.
3: Her constantly shifting character, but but yes, if you're going to if you're going to devote that time to it, the least you can do is th- you know it doesn't it doesn't take much of that time to throw in a line where Clara says, "Well, you just you just sodded off and left me in the middle of a global crisis." Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, some some line to well, indicate... Yeah, you know, why she's pissed off at him, and why she has her doubts. We
1: didn't like. We didn't. We didn't think this worked. But how does it fit in the context of season? Where are we? Eight. Eight. Series eight. Sorry, mm. series eight. Uh, huh, huh. You can take the boy out of the old. Yeah, I was going to say the master season. hasn't turned up yet. <laughs> we've. I've, oh, actually, I actually, can't how many I, from, I can't <laughs> remember how many stories from this series we've covered, mm. but we, we have just touched on the point of the doctors characterization the 12th Doctor's mm. characterization haven't we you put it in context way back when we did Deep mm. Breath Giles I remember which yep. we were surprised yep. that Doctor Who wasn't actually that much of an ass in Deep mm. Breath and mm. you remind us that that came later and is it is it up and down through that series this attempt to make him seem I don't know what
0: they were going for <laughs> whatever it was they were doing is it consistent and Pretty much obnoxious all the way afterwards, isn't he? I, I don't think. think so that's I not mean, what they I were. mean, Fine, sure, I mean a they? caretaker in in particular. What they were trying to do is take is take
1: the character point, which dates all the way back to the Pyramids of Mars. The Doctor is an alien, so why doesn't we shouldn't assume he would think like a human? Because you've got the bigger picture, and to to do that seriously. And, but to overlay onto it the personality of Malcolm Tucker. Mm. <laughs> but
0: why does he shout PE at at, at well, a at a quite an intellectual black guy quite nastily for about you know half of an episode? Mm. I mean that that's not nothing to do with him yes. not being human. It's just him be, being an narcissist. Yes, it was badly done in most stories
1: mm. of this season. You're all, by reminding me of some some of the other episodes. You're almost making me feel more fondly about this one, where. <laughs> what it does succeed in doing is taking this brusque new personality and building it up into almost callousness mm. but then pulling the rug out from us at the end and showing us that it wasn't callousness but has it earned that trick because doctor who is able to say oh did you believe me did you i did it for a reason I mean, it's a bit like curse ephemeric isn't it it's not so much the ace has to believe that he's turned against earth but it's almost like
0: that mm. Remind us what the reason was.
1: The supporting character he's he's finally come up with a plan after he's learned that every time somebody dies he's learned a little bit more mm. about the nature of this foe and he thinks one more attempt might be enough. He has to I think he I think he's determined that he can get to the bottom of it if he can get the creature to attack him. Mm.
3: Mm. He knows well, it's well. going to go after Macy.
1: Yes, and, they, and he also—that's right—and he knows that he's going to go for somebody else first. So he's going to—he has a clever science-fictiony way of transferring its attentions from mm. Maisie yes. is it? Yeah. to himself. He can't let her in on the secret in case, because well, I don't know what he says, but she might. In be case diff- it
2: doesn't work, he, he he doesn't want to give false hope that he—he right. he, he didn't want to promise that he could cure her because he said if she dies, he would just move on to the next person. And the next person until he found finally found a way to beat yeah. it.
3: <laughs> until he ran out of speaking cast. <laughs> yes, that's what, that's that's
1: mostly what I remembered from this episode. Him, and of course it it was quite would I say controversial It was quite controversial. A lot of people disliked his callousness in the face of uh, the deaths of the professor character and, and David Bamber. Mm. And going back to it, it's not as bad as no. Mm. Well, it comes and goes. In those... It's, that, I mean, that is, that is quite clever stuff, isn't it? Especially with the the professor, where he... They seem to reach an understanding... They both understand mm-hmm. that there's nothing he can do to stop it now, mm. now the 66 seconds have started. And so it's in everyone's interest for him to be... To try and put his panic to one side and rationally analyse
0: what he's mm-hmm. seeing for the greater good. And we even get, in that la- in the last sort of 20 seconds the thing that's going to solve the problem at the end, that there is a, there is a sort of some special pleading that might stop it from mm. attacking. But that's what, that's what the yes. Professor reveals yeah. just before he dies.
1: Uh. So again, I haven't written down any examples that would we'll back up what I think about this, but although plot-wise, thematically, that works beautifully, there is some, still some dialogue after one or the other of these characters died where the Doctor genuinely is callous. They could just explain calmly mm. Why he can see the bigger picture, and why he's acting the way he does, but it, but it's over. I think it's overwritten, isn't it? And he, mm. and he genuinely is dismissive.
2: It's it's nearly treated quite sympathetically, and then there's 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 an extra line or two yeah. that that he makes too much.
1: It is only a couple of lines, isn't it? Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's a bit careless.
2: I find it slightly frustrating that. When he did his magic thing and made himself the target of the the mummy so that he could crack the case, he didn't do anything exceptional. He was just slightly more observant than the last two mm. people that missed mm. this gigantic clue tattooed on the mummy's chest that uh, you would have thought if it was...
1: Uh, yeah, and despite what I said earlier, he's not, he's not building upon anything anybody else told him, is he?
3: No. Well, apart from the professor's... The professor's line about the magic words which he dismisses out of hand.
1: Remind me. Uh,
3: uh, as Richard said, when the professor's when it's stalking the professor, one of the last things he says is, you know, in some mythologies you can plead in in some stories you can plead with it there's a there's a special way of you know there's something that will stop it. And he then and then Capaldi you know that's what leads Capaldi to put two and two together. Once he thought, flag, soldier, hang on, there's a special word, you know. Oh, we surrender. Yes, yeah, mean. that leads him to we surrender. Yes. Right. Hmm.
1: But that's not something he's observed. That's just something that the professor could have told him at any point. Yes, not just, this is, not this is true. Goodness. Yes. Oh, yes. Right. Yeah, so he says it, we he says it in extremis
3: so of the mummy tracking him down Again, out I of don't like to criticise yeah. it
1: for something it didn't do, but I, I feel like it might have been neater mm. if they had made a, a specific tangible yes. observation yeah. on each of those previous mm. deaths. But it turns out they were pointless. Nobody did say anything Mm. under pressure that really helped the doctor. There was only one observation and he made it himself.
2: Mm. Yeah, if if the penultimate guy to die had said, there's some kind of writing, I think, but I can't. Mm. And then the doctor had taken that chance to focus on it and he'd pulled a bandage off or Mm. something that had revealed enough more. So rather Mm. than doing what everyone else was doing, which is saying how tall he Mm. was or how many teeth he had, that it was something to use his yeah. 66 seconds mm. on the 66 seconds it was a frustration that because it, it's the Orient Express it's set up as a as an Agatha Christie style yeah. mm. situation and although the function of the mummy is the mystery to some extent a big component of that is 66 seconds and why 66 mm. seconds and so much so that there's a, a non-diegetical thing on <laughs> screen I was hoping you would say to, that I mean that's really rare in Doctor mm. Who to have a thing that we're privy to, that the characters aren't. And so this signpost is in our faces that there's a mystery to crack here. It's that you, the Mm. viewer, should think carefully about 66 seconds because there's something Mm. fascinating and interesting to solve, to focus on. And then, like all of the worst detective novels, (laughs) you have absolutely no hope of knowing what... the solution was or what it had anything to do with and it's so yeah, frustrating hmm. and it's so unsatisfying when, good, they, when they give you the solution
1: that's a good one, I hadn't specifically thought that it fails because it pretends it's going to be an Agatha Christie and isn't but approaching it from that angle does tie into my dis- dissatisfaction with it, that the solution is less interesting than the mystery mm. Yeah. I mean that's a very simple way of explaining why a lot of new who doesn't work for me it start from... Um, it's part of that genre which seems to be much more common in the new series than with the old series of just gener- presenting us with something that we think we understand but it's not what it appears to be. Mm. And you really have... Uh, for my money, you have to come up with a, an explanation that's satisfying with that. Yeah. I mean, they never did that in the old days apart from perhaps there's a subset of those where it's, it's history. We arrive at a point in history where we... Some, a historical event where we think we know what caused it it turns out not to be... Mm. I never find them particularly interesting in themselves, they're a big gimmick, but in New Who there have been quite a few where you think it's this type of monster, you think this is a vampire or it's a Mm -hmm. werewolf or it's a a mummy, (laughs) they've done the whole gamut, haven't they? But it's not, it's something science fiction, of course it isn't, because it's Doctor Mm -hmm. Who, and even in the old series we didn't have real vampires and werewolves and mummies, there was always an explanation behind it. Now... This is the, the flip of pyramids because Bob Holmes didn't make any mystery out of what are these things? They're not, are they real you know, undead Egyptians? Mm. No, he doesn't bother with that. They're yeah. just robots here. Mm. That's what the entire story is about. And it's clever, the explanation, but for my money, is underwhelming. And I said the same thing about vampires in Venice. Mm. I didn't find the idea of fish creatures with big teeth that some sort of perception filter makes your brains translate into a vampire, well, you know, that, that's underwhelming. It's mildly mm. ingenious, but not enough to justify, you know what I mean? So mm. it's quite a nice little science fiction short story idea, the idea of working from the bottom backwards from what we're given, that this is a soldier, yeah. hence the bandages, mm. hence the limp, blah, 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 and the and the motivation. It all works, it all makes sense, but it's not so clever. That, that you think wow that's amazing that's really justified my investment in this for 50 minutes it just mm. feels like stories when the, the rug is pulled out and the atmosphere this happens a lot with ghost stories in Doctor Who where, cause, because there is no supernatural mm. that's the one thing where they always have to come up with a, a technical explanation for why things appear to be paranormal and it's, it's so hit and miss whether or not it's
0: except for Villa Diodati which seems quite happy to think that there might have been something supernatural or doesn't, doesn't attempt to explain it sorry mm, yes I've, 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 I've pulled you out of yourself
1: for me yes it's part of a uh, an increasingly prevalent genre a style of writing of approaching that unique narrative structure that doctor who has we're in a genre that you've seen somewhere else but it's different because we never just present something straight in doctor who we always mm. it's always something else and really if you go down that route the onus is on you to make sure that it's really satisfying and again to return to Agatha Christie it's like a murder mystery a number of murder mysteries I've read this last year researching trying to work out how to do them Mm. well where the mystery is so intriguing and it all falls flat at the last Mm. hurdle because (laughs) the explanation the how or the who or the why you know or any combination thereof isn't Mm. doesn't work and you just think well you've thrown it all away in the last few pages (laughs) Why?
0: must try harder the, the mummy isn't just a mummy; it's also a vampire, as well as being neither of those mm. things. <laughs> it's
1: also X. It's also Y, but neither.
0: Yeah, so it's draining
3: I, energy from people, isn't it? Yeah, that's how it's. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not as down on it as you are, Paul. Yeah, sorry. It's... Yeah, I think I think the central conceit with the the mummy is clever. Mm-hmm. For me, I, for me, I thought, okay, it worked, that that does work pretty well. It might have been. Perhaps thematically, one wanted to have some hint of stuff to do with soldiery and war and stuff like that worked more into what was, you know, what was there. Which I know from we'll probably come on to discuss the prehistory of this particular script because it seems to have had very, very complicated things worked out about it before it was stripped down to this and kind of repurposed. So, but I think what in the finished product, what doesn't work for me is the it's just the the kind of superstructure of yeah you know, the whole thing with Gus and the mystery and the because it strips it feels like it I was only talking about it now and you saying about oh, the, you know stripping away the mystery and so on I was just thinking well hang on halfway through we get that reveal and the surroundings yeah. of the train fall away and become become just laboratory and some of the extras are jettisoned or dematerialized because they're simulations or whatever but
2: unlike the rest of them which turn out to be extremely (laughs) well-rounded characters like the bloke who looks like albert einstein yeah
3: this is the this is the other thing that we'll we'll come (laughs) on to that but i um just to just to complete that just to complete that thought i've i then thought well hang on but then that doesn't add anything to the it's just a reveal for the sake of a reveal I don't think that the, the lab labora- makes it less the, interesting, and it makes it less visually interesting. It makes it less, yeah. You know, they're just standing around in a laboratory instead of being on a more exciting environment of a, of the train carriage it's... and so on. And yeah, it doesn't actually contribute anything to the resolution of the plot. It's just there so it can be a and
0: yeah. Remind me, is, is Gus to do with Missy later on? Is, no, is Gus. Gus with?
3: goes nowhere. Gus was apparently oh. going to. Yeah. Oh really? Oh, I thought that no. was Missy. No, because I didn't remember. No,
1: Gus. So it is. It is literally completely unexplained and unresolved.
3: Yes, allegedly it was going to come back in, going to at least get a mention in oxygen, <laughs> in the following series. Oh, right. But no, wow. it's a it's a big. I mean, you know, there's there's a there's a, <laughs> there's a big finish, <laughs> box set for you. Um... <laughs> so
2: it's an amazing irony that f- f- for these two stories that have been paralleled for f- for the very obvious reason of the the, the mummy uh, mm. motif, but. The the original version of Pyramids of Mars was mummies in a slightly futuristic mm. setting. And Robert Holmes said, No, don't do that. Because <laughs> what you want is for them to be in a nice retro mm. Gothic environment because that will give you the atmosphere. And and so you got Mummy on the Orient Express that starts with this perfect mm. setup. And then reverts back to that exact mistake that Lewis Griefer was Mm. making, which is to stick everything in this clinical, futuristic environment, which immediately erodes all of your atmosphere. Mm. And suddenly, a mummy staggering through what feels like a futuristic Mm. hospital is much less visually interesting than staggering down a a, a 1920s-style train Mm. carriage. It's a real shame. It's a weird thing to do as you said, didn't serve any purpose. Mm.
1: Even before then, I've got to be honest, and I don't want to rag on this too much, because I did enjoy, I didn't hate it, and there were lots and lots of moments I really liked, and the dialogue yeah. was cracking mm. throughout. Yes. Terrific. Mm-hmm. Jamie Matheson has been charged with putting his terrific skills with dialogue and characterization to bear on a script which, uh, on a plot which has probably, through no fault of his own, been steered in the wrong directions in terms of the continuity and, and so on. But um, even before the more visually interesting parts of the more atmospheric parts that set up are stripped away it still doesn't do a lot with that setup it's um mm-hmm. i think it suffers from i was talking last time about how tooth and claw it's not i wouldn't say it's the perfect modern 50 minute story but it is the perfect example of telling an old-fashioned four-part doctor who saw in in 50 minutes for my money the pacing whereas here we're back into the realms of they've decided they can't tell a, a traditional story in 50 minutes so we'll tell a different type of story and that's why and a lot of people probably think that's for the best we don't get a lot of wandering around up and down corridors and people being split mm. up and people but we also don't get those mo- you lose tension there you don't get some enough moments where people are hiding in the shadows wondering if the mummy's is around the corner because the mummy only appears at specific moments mm. and, and the cast is largely contained to one or two rooms and even when they're split that doesn't really add mm. a great deal of
0: you know what I mean? Yeah, and the mummy's never threatening it's, either Clara or the Doctor until the very end. Either it's pared it down
1: geographically and temporally and so that everything happens in a fairly... It's more like midnight than a traditional mm. base under siege mm. story because everyone's all pretty much always in that one room except when they're in one, mm. <laughs> one it's, other it, room. It's
2: a shame show. as well that they, they've got this extremely lavish, beautiful train carriage mm. set and then Clara gets shut in the... Mm. Darkened storage yeah. room for a decent chunk mm. of the episode, having a, a chat with that other woman, and for a story that's about.
3: But that's because mm. I realise that's
1: a fake out because we think that they're going to be, because they're in the dark, isolated, gloomy location. That something's going to come and get them there, and it Well, doesn't. you
3: wonder. It seems like a missed opportunity that they didn't do at least one appearance of the. You know, like when they when they had the chef gets killed that they didn't do at least one Mm. incident when the the lights flicker and they know it's somewhere and they don't know where and the Doctor thinks, the Doctor thinks, well, it's not here. It must be going after Clara. And then you find out someone else, elsewhere on the train. But
2: it's a a really weird, empty sort of dead end, that, because having Clara shut in that room is visually Mm. boring and doesn't go anywhere. they go to that room for, for mm. an investigation that doesn't pan out. And then they leave that yeah. room again. So she's in a holding pattern until the conclusion that's, of the story. And it yeah. felt to me like uh, it was a recording it is. issue. Like it, it it was a, that's
3: yeah. what it is. It's double banking. Uh, oh. so <laughs> oh. is, I, I wondered is that why they
2: Doctor couldn't...
1: Who gets a different companion? Yes, yeah, basically. Kind of. I mean, we're supposed ah. to be the, the lovable Frank mm. Skinner. Uh, well, I, I do think Frank Skinner is, very, mm. is lovable, but... He's also
0: bloody awful in this, oh, which doesn't... He's not acting, is he? He's, he's he's given a funny kind of a role, I think, in in that he's a little bit enigmatic at one point. His role is Frank Skinner, I think. His, I don't
2: know. His role is well,
3: Frank Skinner, Doctor Who fan. I've not, I've not got a, a full of this Frank. I can't
1: really tell. He's so... He puts such a distance between me and whatever this character's written as. I can barely tell what the character's supposed to be. I can sort of tell. Hmm. But it won't solidify in my mind what they're going for because it's all I can see is Frank Skinner. And
2: yeah, I've never seen him act in anything else, I don't think. You've never seen
1: but, him? You mean you've never seen him
2: act? <laughs> I've never seen him act, and I've only seen him in this. No, I love yeah. Frank
1: Skinner. So do I. It brings me no joy. Not acting. brings me I don't no joy what whatsoever, and it's the strangest thing. I mean, it's absolutely the closest we get to the uh, the old J&T mm-hmm. casting approach here. I
3: don't...
2: Anyone know
1: how well, that especially.
2: Happens?
3: Uh, I presume I think... just him being a massive fan and I I don't no. know I know, I know Fox has got cast because she was she was it, at, in the, at the same BBC thing that would have had the infamous you were erased from Doctor Who incident going oh, on my goodness. but I think she was in the room next door or something and apparently got talking to right. someone who was associated with Doctor Who presumably not any, either of the parties to that particular it, conversation it wasn't erased and, um, and said oh I love a bit of Doctor Who and then got him got, um, got called up and said, Well, you wanna come on and we need a singer.
0: Yeah. We need someone to mm. say sex machine in the middle <laughs> of the Doctor Who story. <laughs> Can't think of a better
3: uh... Where were we? So, Frank Skinner, yes. Um... <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I wasn't sure if, if 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 it was trying to be if it was trying to be posted as if you if it was just a lovable character who was a bit nonplussed because the doctor was such a nasty piece of work or whether he's genuinely somewhat enigmatic character No
1: idea, he's that... different in every scene <laughs> It just doesn't earn the fact the idea that by the end of the story we're, th- we're supposed to think this is a potential companion
2: No, we're supposed to think oh it's Frank Skinner, wouldn't it be funny if he was on board the TARDIS Forget Perkins, and then, well, and then the next... it's just this mm. Frank Skinner
3: And then we get Nardole soon enough yeah.
2: I think it's really well written I think there's some great lines I I think they were wasted sadly murdered I like I like the the what sorry
1: I said murdered <laughs> murdered on the yeah. orient
2: express I I liked all that uh, interplay or at least the potential of it when they're they're suspicious of each other good, good, good. Mm. Per- mm. Perkins and the doctor and I was thinking having come off the back of watching Pyramids of Mars imagine if that had been obviously uh, not in his present state, but if that had been the actor who played the butler in Pyramids of Mars, for example. or ah, yes, actor, yes, yes, Performance of that mm. calibre, a, a, a tiny bit part with some lovely juicy lines to play up against the Doctor. And I was just thinking about him saying, um, yeah, whatever that actor's yeah. name is, but obviously uh, not mm. dead. I assume he's or, dead. Or even, it, or even if it had been Beryl Reed. <laughs> not dead. Or, or, or Peter mm. Kaye. Brad Bradley Walshaw. Or... No, I do like Frank Skinner. Mm. He's great and he's wonderful. And do you know, he once yeah, uh, watched the sensorites I, I like his tour Skinner. bus. So he, he once watched the space museum on a Virgin Pendolino.
3: <laughs> I was going to yeah. say we need to. Use, he'll, he'll probably be listening to this podcast. Yeah. So, what <laughs> you say? He yeah. to this no, podcast. I said probably will be. He's a, After
2: oh, he watched the sensorites on the back of his. He's tour a
3: hardcore bus. one of us, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. He's a hardcore. We
0: brilliant in the um, in the documentary that Chris Chapman did production wise getting back to
3: yeah so double banking and that's that's the reason for the slightly weird and the irony of it is that Jamie Matheson wrote this this double bank the Flatline which I think must be a oh yes must be something of an unusual situation that the same writer wrote both double bank stories but wasn't the mm. showrunner and the odd thing the odd thing is that he was commissioned to write this after Flatline or with Flatline going well and them them closing in on and it was one of these cases where Moffat said, "Well, do you want to write another one?" And Gave him the, I believe, gave him the the basic brief that said, "Well, we'll follow up on that gag from the gag from a Christmas Carol or wherever it was, for the setup." But anyway, so hence Flatline has all those scenes with the Doctor in the TARDIS, right? Losing its dimensions, etc. And this has Clara locked away with Maisie in the in, in the cupboard. old carriage.
1: Really hobbles it. It rarely works when they solve the, the um, casting issues by putting your companion off in another room with one supporting character for an extended mm. scene. Right back from um, the Dickens one, I remember they, they wrote... Some, didn't they write some extra padding? Oh, no, maybe they didn't. Maybe I'm just imagining it was padding. But <laughs> I remember all those years ago, I Think there's a long scene of Rose nattering to a supporting character yes, in a pantry, yeah. which just felt like it was, had been added... To build up the time, or for some obscure reason, maybe it I have been, a feeling.
2: You, like. I've, I have a feeling you could be right. Are, are you mixing up with the end of the world scene uh, where yes. she talks yeah. to the blue Attendant That is written for I, padding because they were under uh, running. It,
1: it is. I might well be. It might be mm. that in the end of the world, Russell wrote some padding which didn't feel like mm. it because he's a genius, and in the mm. and in the next story, somebody else wrote a scene that did feel like padding, even though it wasn't. <laughs> anyway, here, yes, I mean. Whereas Flatline gets away with it because it's the Doctor and you've put him in and you've come up with a story reason for him to be mm. somewhere separate. You've hung a lampshade on it, I suppose, as the young people say. And, and the
2: Doctor in the TARDIS is, is visually more interesting than mm. Clara against a dark wall.
0: Apparently it's the Big Bang it's mentioned. It's oh, the, the oh, of course. Yes, the, yes. That's, that, that's the end yeah. of um, Matt Smith.
3: I knew it was an end of season, or end of, yeah, it was a cliffhanger. Hmm.
0: Did you want to get? I mean, you, you mentioned earlier uh, Giles this thing about uh, a genesis of the story, which I have to admit I know nothing about. Uh, but I wonder if if you wanted to elaborate. Uh,
3: on. I would probably be horribly inaccurate because
0: I've I've only kind of skimmed the.
3: the there seem to be there's copious details about early drafts in the complete history, but the right. basic, basic, the simple version that I could understand is that the original concepts they had it was going to be more Agatha Christie-ish, that they were on a tour of the Seven Wonders of the Universe on the Orient Express with stop-offs, and so there were going to be scenes set on at least a couple of planets that were amongst these wonders of the Universe, and that the foretold were, in something that sounds to me a bit like a he recycled them for oxygen, the foretold were going to be sentient spacesuits of some sort that... Well, the, the bandages, I think the bandages would kind of wrap around people and turn them into foretold. And there were going to be more than more than one of them. And I believe in one draft Clara was turned into one. But the idea was there was kind of so, super soldier suits that were designed to keep their occupants alive, regardless of their occupants having much say about it, which which does sound a bit like the um oxygen where you have the, the zombie suits, as it were. Carrying people around even though they're dead. Mm -hmm. Am I misremembering Oxygen? I don't really like that. Silence in the Library. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's in in there as well, but there's there's something similar in Oxygen, isn't there? I believe. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't seen that since broadcast. Well, in in Silence in the Library, they've they've been taken over by the the, um, the dust, haven't they? Vash
0: the
1: Whereas in in Oxygen, they literally just empty spaces that can perform
0: tasks on their own. No! Uh, No, they do kill the the occupants inside them, don't they? Okay,
1: so they they attack them to death. Okay, so hang on. mm. There's there's spacesuits that can move and (laughs) act autonomously regardless of whether there's somebody in them. Yeah, I believe they might as well be empty because they've got a dead body. Yeah, I believe. Unlike the the Impossible Astronaut, which is a spacesuit that has a small Mm. girl in it, a bit like the the Davros in Revenge (laughs) of the Darks, which has a small girl in it.
2: But I'm, I'm listing now some in, of the best in, ideas, Doctor. In Impossible presented. Astronaut, the spacesuit can function without mm. the girl in it, because it walks around empty.
3: Mm. Yes. Good point. Mm.
0: where's the spacesuits in <laughs> <Empire>? Ah, <laughs> yes. we well, basically just remembering <laughs> anyway, things. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's good, isn't it?
3: <laughs> anyway, yeah. but yes, so that was the at least some of the some of the earlier drafts involved, like you know had had more. Hmm. Emphasis on these soldier suits, and so on, and apparently, they got quite complicated. And and, and anecdotally, in there, there's something about oh, you know, Moffat's sitting down Jamie Matheson just saying, "Well, look, what is a What is the foretold? Ultimately, and then that being the genesis for the, for like a redraft in which it came much closer to, to what we ended up getting on screen, and jettisoned a lot of these extra ideas." If he's in medical bandages wrapped around somebody who's mm. injured,
1: then it's, you're, more, you're now more into in, the Invisible Man's um, sort of not you? Mm. So they should have had a scene where he um, wraps himself and there's nobody underneath, like Omega and the Three Doctors. Mm. <laughs> God, that would have been so different. Mm. But equally lame.
0: <laughs> so it all fits into this kind of soldier theme from well Series 8, which didn't really mm. go anywhere either. Do you think that was oh, good mandated? It's a, a bit good a bit It's like, mm. a bit like Gus. <laughs> Who does the voice of Gus, by the way? It's John
3: Sessions. Oh, is it? Oh, Yes. Ah. Because I was thinking it was um, Fort Prefect. Which one? Which one? Jeff, Jeffrey McGiven. Jeff exactly. Yeah. I, I, I was thinking when I heard it. I thought that was Jeff McGiven because I've been enjoying him turning up frequently in Ghosts. Mm. Shouting bitches. Yes, it <laughs> does sound. Well, like it
0: could could of course be uh, John Sessions doing his impressions. Uh, it could be. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean. Yeah. Much cheaper than getting Jeffrey McGivney, actually. <laughs> 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 uh, okay. Have we got? Have we got anything, anything else coherent to think, say about this story? I mean, I,
1: I I've not had anything coherent to say yet, but what I'm struggling to articulate is that it's similar to pyramids and it is it's mashing up different things isn't it that don't belong together and as i went on about endlessly i think why where this suffers is bob holmes has come has done as little work as is necessary to make his to mash up satisfying to the viewer and here i think it's been overthought mm. overthought and then over explained in a way which um it's just not satisfying for a, a general viewer. It doesn't, as a payoff, it just keeps moving on and telling you new things. It doesn't really mm. peak anywhere. But I, I think I made—I think I somehow may, make it sound like I thought that... Because it isn't really very scary, but of course I'm a middle-aged man, so I wouldn't be scared by it, would I? I made it sound like it wasn't scary because there weren't traditional Who scenes of people run, you know, being chased down corridors by mummies. Or, um, or indeed, being surprised by mummies lurching out of unexpected places. But what we do get, the the relentless inevitability and the ticking clock, is something very new, and quite strong. It just isn't really very scary. I, I'm just wondering what it. It's a very strong ideas. So I'm just wondering how it could have. And the mummy looks fantastic. Mm. So I'm just wondering what, what it's lacking. Mm. Was there anywhere doing the idea better, or is it? Um, am
0: I just being unf- unf- unfair? It's a bit like Waters of Mars, is it not? In the in the sense that that as soon as someone is becomes the focus of the mummy's attention, it's inevitable that they're going to die. And I mean that has yeah. its own kind of dread behind it. But it but it's not scary in the sense of will they or won't they? Because you know that they won't. But,
1: but I I remember saying that I found Waters of Mars one of the few Doctor stories that I did find scary. I've of, of either iteration of the mm.
4: programme. I remember yes, saying yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> mm.
1: It's such a profound observation that I remember it distinctly, mm. and I don't. And I think visually, it was there were some very strong visuals in mm. Waters of Mars, which
3: appeared yeah.
2: was a robot that went gadget gadget. <laughs> not that mm. <laughs> people have really selective mm. memories about Waters of Mars. It blows my mind. It's got some of the worst stuff of any new who in, and it's held up as this bastard. Anyway, we're not talking about Waters of Mars. We're talking about how terrible to it's... sorry talking about <laughs> it's, it's the williams
3: versus wilmers Wilmer's directorial grasp i just don't yeah I don't, I don't know it just becomes once you have that transformation to the lab it just becomes so flat and colored mm. it's, and it's a it's just really oddly i i don't know why someone didn't look at it and go well hang on here's your problem because it because the weird thing is that you get that transformation. They they jettison some some characters or some background artists, whatever, and yep. you then still have half a dozen. And it becomes ever more ever more obvious as you whittle down the speaking cast and get rid of get rid of some nice character actors. And it it comes down to that basically there's a doctor Clara and two others two other speaking parts and everyone else yeah and you you've got. Half a dozen? More than that? Extras? Mm. Standing around... We've got all the greatest minds it's, in the universe yes, it here. it's like yeah. Time and the Rani. It's like time, time, the Rani. End of
0: time and the Rani. Yeah. And the um, Rani, for that matter. All just standing we, around doing...
1: There are so many things that don't quite that don't quite pay off, that don't quite work. Mm-hmm. and uh, Well, I do wonder if they're all legacies of this, the many, you know, the endless iterations of this script. But the, the Doctor announces, as a big discovery, of course, you, 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 you and you are some of the finest scientific mm. brains. But he's never told, he's never shown any yeah. signs that he had identified this before. Had any before. suspicions of so at, yeah. what point, yeah. at what point is he supposed to have, mm. Yeah, exactly. At what point is he supposed to have spotted that? At that precise mm. moment, as soon as he entered this yeah. ship? We don't know. It's so weird. That,
2: that That's a that's a payoff for a mystery that yeah. wasn't set up. Yes. Meanwhile, we've that's, got mysteries you. set that's, up that that's have no meant. payoff. Yes. Oh, it's brilliant. Bizarre. Well, you've
3: done it. And just, just from oh, yeah. why, why you wouldn't look at this just, just from a blocking point of view and think, well, hang on, we've got this problem that we've got... <laughs> we've got all these... We're going to get to a point where we're going to have all these extras standing around on the set not doing anything and they're just going to look useless. And you compare that with pyramids <laughs> where... Well, Bob Holmes is is absolutely brutal. Yes, argu- you know, arguably too brutal in his yeah in killing his characters the moment they have fulfilled their plot function, and and yet yeah. So it, it's just weird. And so why why didn't someone say well hang on if oh. we if we ditch all these supporting characters and and get rid of this lab subplot then we could we could have a couple more interesting characters and maybe a bit more room to do something more interesting.
1: I do think there is generally a problem with being too in love with high concept ideas in this era Mm. of who and when stories fail, it's because they've not (laughs) paid enough attention to what Bob Holmes knew with the strength of the programme. If you decide to have Mummies and Orange Express that's what Mm. you put up front. But no, they're much more in love with the concepts. And yes, I'm getting closer to understanding why this doesn't work. It's a mystery where the mysteries Mm. aren't paid off as Gav said, and a Mm. horror where the horror is barely paid more than lip service. Mm. It's, it's so superficial, and nothing's ever really very scary. But no, setting up mysteries where really? which aren't paid off, and not paying off ones which, ones which are, and even in the characterization, the script shows signs of skipping stages. Mm. Mm. Um, the, when the doctor rounds on David Bamber in their first scene together, mm-hmm. he makes a, he, he seems to understand. He's criticising the captain for his character mm. flaws in a way which I didn't really feel had been made clear enough that we would... Mm. Mm. No. So it feels unearned. It turns out that they're right, but we only see the, the captain behaving those ways after mm. that scene, which, in, for my money. So that doesn't really work. So He's been not... perfectly
2: reasonable, and then the doctor takes him to task so, yeah, so for it. Exactly. It. It's,
1: it's, it's one of those situations where the writer has decided what angle they're going to take and written the scene to the hilt. Mm. But we can't really feel it because we've not been given mm. it's not been set up and so and therefore it becomes just another mm. scene where we think the doctor's being a bit bit of an ass necessarily yeah.
3: and i guess we do have that character moment that or character beat that's that he's a soldier that the captain is a ex-soldier with ptsd you yeah, know apparently so that is yeah. a, that's another thing that relates to possibly to the soldier theme etc yeah,
2: uh, that should should have been mm, there should have been more yeah. of
3: that. They, they should have made more mm. of the fact that you were dealing
2: with two yeah. soldiers and one one should have been the key to unlock the other. That could have
1: been the, the observation uh, he made. Yeah. He, he could have said I can see he could have said I see mm. you when the mummy approaches and the doctor says, Of course you mm. can see he said, No, I see mm. I can see what sort of person this mm. is.
3: Yeah, that could have been yeah. interesting.
1: And, and and the other thing mm. that didn't work for me, and now I know mm. why in terms of characterization is the far too much emphasis on is it Maisie mm. the,
4: yeah. the yeah the
1: woman in the mm. host room mm. far too much stuff about her relationship with Janet Henry mm. and i wonder why they're going on and on about this because it's completely disproportionate to its importance in the episode and now i under- now you told me it's just padding well that explains mm. that explains that
0: it doesn't well yeah but but if you're trying to Reduce the amount of stuff that Clara has to do. Why don't you just reduce the amount of stuff Clara has to do, rather than creating a whole bunch of stuff that she can do? <laughs> in the yeah. Well, uh, it, mm. yes. Yeah. You're highlighting what mm. she can't do, yeah. which is leave that room. Yes. They have that sort of little reference, I suppose, to the Bechdel test, I mm. suppose, yeah. which is you know it's nice in a way, but also why couldn't they actually talk about something other than a bloke? Think. Anyway, there we go. <laughs> yeah,
3: I'm I'm always wary about that. Thing of criticizing the story for what the story that it could have been, or whatever, but it does feel to me like, well, if you'd had a couple more speaking characters make it through to the end, yeah, because the the idea, the the central concept that okay, that it's some kind of test and so on, but why why didn't you have that if you'd had a couple more characters that could have survived, then you could have had a mystery, and and Gus could have, you know, Perkins could have revealed himself as being Gus all along. Okay, maybe not. No, yeah,
1: there are no but, actual. There are no actual twists. Yeah, or reveals, but you know
3: that there? that could have been quite a good. You know that had been. I know they're a bit. Cheap, you know that but... it's. You know the moment the moment the lab thing falls away, it's revealed that okay, this is all an experiment because you know Gus wants to learn about the
0: mummy. Why? Why does he want to find out about the mummy? I, I am correct about that, aren't I? That it wants to. The... Why don't they just steer away from mm. that part of the galaxy or whatever? Well, I mean, the what,
2: what... the the inference is that that. Gus wants to exploit mm. it, and weaponize yeah. it. There's some line right. of dialogue like, "We'll we'll work out
3: how it operates mm. and make use of it, yeah. or worse, to that effect." But um, that's all you okay. get. Okay. But yes, yeah, so if that was actually, if that motive was due to, so it was picking off the weakest, and it had been unleashed, but that motive was transferred to to someone who was actually surviving on the on the train, then you could have a nice. Bit of a twisty reveal, perhaps. That it was mazy all along.
2: Is that consistent behaviour with with a soldier? Is that another mystery that doesn't? It gives you a clue, and then takes a left at the traffic lights. Because the reasoning is that they work out that it's it's people being killed in increasing order of Mm. ill health. Yeah, and so so it's the, the terminally ill mm. person, and then the and then the uh, slightly ill person, and then the person with mental mm. health problems. That doesn't mm. mesh with the idea that that's a soldier. That's not. That's not how got to be soldiers operate. It's not, no, no it's on not the battlefield is locating mm. <laughs> the enemies with his uh, <laughs> lung transplants <laughs> and shooting at them first, and then goes well. He's got depression. I'll pick mm. him off next.
0: How does
1: he know
2: that?
1: Mm, yeah, And to it's, be honest, and I do think, with the same caveat that Giles has mentioned, that, that if this had more time to breathe, this story, I think then these people could have been picked off rather than it all being set in the same room with everyone crowded around. And I realise it's trying to do something different with the idea that this thing is homing in on its target nobody mm. nobody's going to see it, and that's clever. But I just mm. think the old-fashioned approach, if they're all in their own separate Yeah, you cabin, don't get any sleeper
3: occurrence.
1: And you don't know who's... It's picking off people one by one, like for example. And then there mm. were none. To keep up the Agatha Christie theme, I just think that would have been better. And then there was Mum. Mm. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. I've got,
1: I've got to stop mm. now. Um, Gavin's won <laughs> the right. podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel really cheap by suggesting that that the story would have been better if they, no, if they hadn't tried so hard to be original and just fallen back on pasticheing. <laughs> Old mm. tropes that have been done from decades ago, but but I, I think pyramids, pyramids of Mars proves the <laughs> proves that I'm but right. This is the frankly. thing: if, if
2: if you hang your whole premise on a high concept that demands mm. a payoff, then you have to make sure that, that that payoff is equal to the amount of time invested in it throughout mm. the story. And Pyramids of Mars very quickly gives you the setup and the threat level. And then doesn't try to twist you and turn mm. you throughout. It changes the, the stakes. Itself. Yeah. It, it it gives you a situation and It's got the confidence the doctor, to stick with
3: it. Yeah, the That's
2: Doctor defeats the baddie halfway through but then the baddie has a backup plan and then it just it keeps moving within its own confines rather modern... than saying you'll never believe who Sutek is by the end of this <laughs> story.
1: What I feel modern the problem with some modern who when it doesn't work so well for me is that it doesn't have the confidence to stick with one single strong idea. They keep second guessing themselves and thinking well that was a good idea but we can't is it strong enough for the whole story? I think we need to add something, another layer on and then oh no, another 15 minutes have gone by we need to add another layer on top of that. And throwing more and more ideas on t- at something doesn't make it stronger. It just makes it it makes it the opposite. It can dilute. It's like the homeopathic method of storytelling. Mm. You um. And we some what one pinch mm. of hammer in a, <laughs> in a liter of.
3: Oh, I'll, I'll stop. We had also just thinking about it in this that concept to sort of reveal the okay, what's the what's the solution and so on. It works in that case, but we had had just thinking the context of series eight. Uh, we had had time heists only a couple of episodes before, which had a rather similar thing with the old um, three-headed, uh, three-horned monster beast. The thing in the, the thing in chains. I can't remember what the hell it was called. Yeah, I remember. But you know, we had we had. I can't a... remember the
1: explanation for what it was because mm.
0: you haven't seen it since broadcast.
1: And we what
3: had Heist, didn't we? But we'd had we'd had a whole.
1: What's the similar similarity?
3: Just, just in terms of like misunderstood monsters, where, where like understanding what they are is the yeah, yeah. immediate right. key to neutralising well. them. And I'm not gonna.
1: Well, they're mis- I mean, I guess that half the reason the writers mm. are going for that idea of, sort of misunderstood and mm. or tech gone wrong is because they, they know that's what Moffat likes because that's
3: yes, what it, yeah, yeah, very true. Because he had
1: ploughed that mm. field very successfully for yeah. some time.
3: Yeah, oh, well, def- definitely. And but sometimes you
1: just want a villain, don't you? And in it this just... story, the only villain is Gus, and we don't even see him. Hmm. So, mm.
0: uh, have we? Uh, have we done with kicking this story? <laughs> uh, you know where well, it really. I think the bags
2: it's... are quite enjoyed. Yeah, sure it's, it's quite fun to completely one. dismantle a story that you rather enjoyed because yeah. it, it's slightly mm. uh, it's less we're, guilt-inducing. We're being
1: constructive. When yeah, Jamie yeah.
2: hears this down in Brighton. Will... I just feel really bad about when Frank Skinner hears this. Yeah. I might. Yeah, they're, they're I might have to ask you to edit all that both out. Lovely. Yeah. No, no. Never Keep in. Be friends with me now.
1: Uh, when you edit out Gav's criticisms of Frank Skinner, I'll, I'll record a, a few extra complaints that you can replace them with. I'll be really vicious this time. I'm a child of the nineties. Yeah. I love. I grew up with Frank Skinner. I didn't grow up with him at all. I...
0: I think it's as likely that uh, Frank Skinner's going to listen to the podcast as that Matthew Sweet would listen to the one about whatever it was. But anyway. Well, oh, we've had, ears, we've had the
1: bloke who designed <laughs> the werewolf in Tooth and Claw have listened to it. This is true. Oh, yeah. true. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm deliberately yeah, yeah. calling him the bloke who, as if I don't know. <laughs> as if I haven't... <laughs>
0: Exactly, who he is. Yeah, yeah. the difference is, 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 you actually know him. Yeah. Um, well, my just <laughs> difference is, you actually know Matthew Sweet as well. Anyway, the um, <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, great friends. We, yeah, yeah. Well, you Cut out my yeah, but, anecdote but, but about Matthew. I I didn't cut out your your anecdote. I, I, I only cut part of it out cause it, because it because it, it worked more nicely yeah, that it, way. But anyway, did, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so look, links between the stories. Oh,
2: they both turn into an escape room at the end. Which uh, was, I mean, I've done I've done lots of escape mm. rooms and I did one a couple of days ago, and it's it's so much more obviously an escape room when you've got Gus coming in over the intercom, giving them hints and clues or people telling you how much time you've got left yeah. to solve this mm. puzzle, and that yes. that heightened me to the fact that Mummy on the Orient Express actually s- takes the same turn as Pyramids of Mars yes. into puzzle solving in the last mm. quarter, which I thought was another curious similarity.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I I said very similar to that. The the doctor has to resolve the situation against the clock right at the very end mm. in both of them. Uh, yes, you already mentioned, I think, another one that which is that they both have that kind of, pseudo historical setting. Although one of them is very pseudo, whereas the other one is only somewhat pseudo. Both. We've already said the doctor got out of bed the wrong
1: side in both of them.
2: Yes, <laughs> indeed. And yet Tom Baker remains likable throughout. now I, I, puzzled yes. over this for ages, trying to work out what the difference was, and I came to no particular conclusion.
1: I mean, to be honest, why un- is it so? Not only fine? Are they, they haven't just got that, but we, it's also one of the occasions where um, Capaldi does his Tom Baker impression of a few lines. So there really is a doesn't he? He starts. I forget why. So there really is a connection between the two characters. Twelves is most fourish, and fours is most twelveish and yet, and yet they're also they couldn't be further apart. Hmm. I find Clara a bit Sarah Janey as well. I like I like Clara, but more with hindsight, she's a great actor, and she keeps her likable even when the script <laughs> doesn't want her to be.
0: I, I've got some exceptionally tenuous ones now. So you've got you've got Sutek, and Gus are both pulling the strings behind the scenes mm mm-hmm. disembodied voices yeah and you've got Lawrence Scarman and Perkins <laughs> are both you know pretty pretty good with technology apparently although uh, Lawrence Scarman actually you, you you believe that he might have have, have done something and um, Perkins it's harder to to uh, believe <laughs> they bo- both end up
2: with the uh setting of the story exploding
0: oh yes oh yes yeah. they're virtually the same story yeah <laughs> <laughs> did anyone else think it was odd that um,
1: Sarah Jane so quickly volunteers to um, Mr Bronson that they're they're time travellers in the future, she doesn't do that normally does she and that's an no. oddity because normally mm. you don't expect people to you only expect companions to be out of character like that if it's a guest writer but this is the serious showrunner That scene was uh, a Paddy
2: Russell edition. The whole scene? Uh, A big chunk of it, the character stuff was.
1: Oh, that explains everything, because that is the sort of thing that would only be written by somebody who doesn't really... I like Paddy Russell as a director, who doesn't really understand the rules of Doctor Who.
2: It's funny, though, because I, I always take that as Sarah kind of just being infuriated with ever having to either conceal or try to seriously explain her origins, and... It always came across to me that she just sort of blurts it out to see what'll happen and he doesn't take it seriously, so it doesn't matter. I,
1: I do I do come out in a rash though, having a real allergy to that sort of thing because I once saw Black Orchid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: I'm very
4: low tolerance for it now. Yeah. So no. who
0: come, who came up with nineteen eighty then? Was that was that Paddy <laughs> Russell? Was that uh, was that Liz Sladen? Does that no, mean there's a general
1: that... idea that we're five there from five years in the future, is that? Because there was never actually a number on it
0: before, but it was always around half a no, decade, No, I think that it? was
2: Robert Holmes
0: right. establishing... It's, it's mentioned a, a, an unfeasible number of times in the dialogue. That's what, that's an, what makes what An think. unavoidable yeah. number of times, mm.
1: yes. <laughs> from our point of view. It, it feels yeah. like there must have be been some unwritten rule in the writer's guide. or well, maybe not
2: unwritten. It was, it was, I think it was ba- In the Perry letter that he remembered... I think yeah. it's Barry Letts had said uh, we set Doctor Who five to ten years yeah. in the future to allow right. for technological advancements, but not or worse mm-hmm. to that effect
1: for change. <laughs> not for changes in, not for decimalisation or car registration plates, or fashion or. Oh, mm. we've done this discussion before, haven't we? Yes. Okay, well, <laughs> let's agree to disagree.
3: It should have gone down the Max Headroom route.
0: Gone twenty minutes into the future. Yeah, <laughs> hmm. I'm done, but. You know, keep going if you've got anything. No, nope. I've said all my notes. Oh, come on, if we keep going, we can get to three hours. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. Well, look, thank you, Giles, Paul, and Gav, for your observations. Thanks for our intrepid listeners who've got this far. But I think we've given you some uh, some tasty morsels along the way. If, you, if you've if you enjoyed this, it would be great if you were prepared to like our podcast, right a review on one of the main platforms, Apple Podcasts in particular, as yeah. another. And please do keep downloading the ones that you you know you want to listen to, and, and and do do visit our back catalogue if you're new to us as well, because there's um you know there's plenty there that I'm sure would interest you, and we'll be back soonish, typically once a month, and we'll we'll talk some more about another pair of stories then. He said, running out of steam a bit. <laughs> but in the meantime, a tatty bye. 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 Bye-bye. Shall
4: I
1: click stop? When- what? Oh. When? oh, very
2: good. When? 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 <laughs> when? You've probably got uh, enough now. When? Yeah. <laughs> when? 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 I bring Sutex's gift of when.
0: Hi, it's me again, and the outtakes are coming. We don't normally advertise anything on Something Who, but I've started a new venture... And I dropped a clip into our podcast feed a few days ago. I'm going to play that clip again. And if you like the sound of it, then please listen to my new podcast. If it's hurting, it's not working. A fun and informative look at the world of work. Emily, have we got a podcast for our listeners?
4: You might want to try that line again, Richard.
0: What? Oh, yeah. Emily have we got a podcast for our listeners
4: you bet hello and welcome to the pilot episode of if it's hurting it's not working
0: Hello I'm Richard
4: and I'm Emily
0: and we're your hosts for a new podcast about working.
4: Most of us have to work for a living and many of us work for at least eight hours a day and at least five dates a week.
0: That's an awful lot of time in our lives to invest in anything particularly if we're unhappy, bored or unfulfilled in our work.
4: So we're hoping that this podcast being all about work, why we work, how we work and what makes a great job will be useful to you all.
0: Yeah, and and we're also going to talk about what makes a great workplace and how we can turn things around when we're not enjoying our work and perhaps in the end how we can all make our work a bit better.
4: So you might be asking yourself, why should I listen to this podcast? What do they know that I don't?
0: Yeah, well, that's an excellent question. And I guess first off, we'll say, here's what we're not. We're not selling you anything. We've not got any quick fixes or miracle cures. We're not consultants. And we're not positioning ourselves as experts.
4: But what we are are two people who work and want to make our experience of work as meaningful as we can, and we'd like to share our thoughts about that with you. If you? What, what's your greatest job that you've had, Richard?
0: So we talked a little bit about that. What makes a, a great job great, and what makes a bad job bad? I mean, but often it's it's not the content of the job itself, is it? It's the it's the stuff that goes alongside it.
4: Terrible jobs. Well, I've got a couple of them.
0: When somebody has belief in you, it's amazing how much more you can achieve and and what a a massive difference it makes, I think, to to your outlook and your output.
4: That's so true. Like having people behind you that believe that you can do it and support you and want to see you succeed.
0: What's the secret of your success, Emily?
4: The secret of my success would probably be my sheer determination
0: so, Emily, do you have a dream job?
4: Well, as a little girl, I always dreamed of being like Kylie Minogue. How about you? Yeah.
0: I think you've got to accept with any job that there's going to be some bits that you love and some bits that you don't like so much. And it's kind of trying to get as much of the stuff as you love in there and to, to get through the the, the, ne- the necessary bits that aren't quite so much fun. Mm-hmm.
4: I think that that's my secret to six is Set.
0: And back to our outtakes.
1: I can't I can't react to an inauthentic, insincere prompt. I'm sorry. I'm such a method <laughs> actor. Until you until you can get exactly the right when we're stuck
0: in a when <laughs> when. I just need. Oh yes, here we go. I think
3: you've got enough choices of when's to work with there, Richard. Yeah, I think so. When? <laughs> <laughs> hey, you when? can put all the others at the end, it'll be
4: hilarious.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think I've caught Charles's cold, which isn't actually a cold. Mm. I think I've caught his chlorine infusion. Uh. How's that happening?
2: <laughs> when? <laughs> when? <laughs> when? Uh. When? Yeah, I should have done a funny one. When? When? Mm. when?
0: When...
1: when you've hung a lampshade on it, I
2: suppose, as the young people say, but the doctor and... in the TARDIS is, is visually more interesting than Clara. Against mm-hmm. if you, you've gone a bit Dalek y there, uh, Gaff.
1: Yes, I w- was wondering when they mentioned that. You actually oh, no. literally sound like a Dalek.
0: Mm. Um, I mean, presumably on your own local recording, you're not, but just to us, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, it, I mean it's, it, it's a lovely touch. Nice <laughs>
1: Now you sound like that bloke out of the, uh, the episode, episode of I'm Alan Partridge, Doctor No vocal cords. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, quite haunting. Also, with that blue light flashing in your ear, uh, you look like a Cyberman. Are <laughs> <laughs> the...
0: you talking my language?
2: I hope not,
1: <laughs> so I can't do it. hello.
2: Hello.
1: No, are you, putting, are you are you doing a funny voice now?
0: No. yeah you know the the ring modulator's gone